Numbers 26, a new beginning. We come now to the point where it becomes obvious in the chapter that except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, whose death is upcoming in a later chapter, all of that generation, 20 years old and older, that came out of Egypt is dead. They're just on the brink of the land of Canaan. And those nearly 40 years have passed and they are, as a nation, facing a new beginning. But in all of these accounts, stories that were given, the, the true character, the main character, of course, is always God. It's, it's never us or his people. It's God and what he does for, in, and through his people. It's no different here. And we'll hopefully draw that conclusion when we get to the end of this chapter. This is one of those chapters that just, it's like chewing a rubber band. You have all these long names of generations and it's the second census. So that means that we're going to have to go through all the 12 tribes here uh, in this second census of Israel. And it's because, once again, Moses, they are about to cross over. And Moses, for the person who will follow him, needs for the soldiers, once again, to be numbered like he did back when they had the first census uh, at the beginning of the book of Numbers. So let's look at it. After the plague, Yahweh spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the son of uh, the priest, saying... Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years old and upwards, following their father's houses, all that are fit to go out to war in Israel. Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, from the age of 20 and upward, as Yahweh commanded Moses and the children of Israel who had come up out of Egypt. So it begins with the tribe of Reuben. Reuben, Israel's firstborn, the descendants of Reuben were the family of the Hanochites from Hanoch, the family of the Paluites from Palu, the family of the Hezronites from Hezron, the family of the Carmites from Carmi, and those were the families of the Reubenites, and they numbered 43,730. The sons of Palu were Eliab. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. They are Dathan and Abiram, the chosen of the congregation who incited against Moses and Aaron in the assembly of Korah, when they incited against Yahweh, and you could include in the, when they incited the congregation or the people against Yahweh. And the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them in Korah. And when that assembly died, when the fire destroyed 250 men and they became a sign, that is a sign from Yahweh to the, to the people of Israel. Korah's sons, however, <clears throat> did not die. Then the tribe of Simeon is counted, the descendants of Simeon, according to their families, the families of the Nimulites from Nimuel, the family of the Jamanites from Jamin, the family of the Jachanites from Jachin, the family of the Zerahites from Zerah, the family of the Shaulites from Shaul. These were the families of the Simeonites, 22,200, the tribe of Gad. The descendants of Gad, according to their families, the family 
of the Zephonites from Zephon, the family of the Haggites from Haggai, from Haggai, Haggai, the family of the Shunites from Shuni, the family of the Oznites from Ozni, the family of the Erites from Eri, the family of the Erodites from Erod, the family of the Aralites from Arali. These were the families of Gad according to those of those, those of them counted 40,500. Now to the tribe of Judah, the sons of Judah were Er and Onan, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The descendants of Judah, according to their families, the family of the Shilonites from Shelah, the family of the Perizzites from Perez, the family of the Zaharites from Zerah, the descendants of Perez were the family of the Hezronites from Hezron, the family of the Hamulites from Hamul. These were the families of Judah, according to those of them counted, 76,500. Now the tribe of Issachar, the descendants of Issachar, according to their families, the family of the Tolaites from Tola, the family of the Punites from Puva, the family of the Jashubites from Jashub, the family of the Shimonites from Shimron. These were the families of Issachar, according to those of them counted, 64,300. The tribe of Zebulun, the descendants of Zebulun, according to their families, the family of the Sardites from Sered, the family of the Elonites from Elon, the family of the Jalilites, Jahlilites from Jahlil. These were the families of Zebulun, according to those of them counted 60,500. The tribe of Joseph, which is divided into the tribes, the half tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. The descendants of Joseph, according to their families, Manasseh and Ephraim. The descendants of Manasseh, the family of the Machadites from Machir. Machir's son was Gilead, the family of the Gileadites from Gilead. These were the family of the descendants of Gilead, the family of the Ezerites from Ezer, the family of the Helechites from Helech, the family of the Asrielites from Asriel, the family of the Shechemites from Shechem, the family of the Shemadites from Shemadi, the family of the Heferites from Hefer. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters. And the names of Zelophehad's daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. I guess he was mad at him when he named them. Come here, Hagla. Come here, Hagla. You had to be been there to understand that. Um, these are the families of Manasseh, and those of them counted were 52,700. These were the descendants of Ephraim, according to their families. The family of the Shuthalites from Shethule, the family of the Bachrites from Becher, the family of the Tachanites from Dahan. These were the descendants of Shethule, the family of the Aaronites from Eran. These were the families of the descendants of Ephraim, according to those of them counted 32,500. These were the descendants of Joseph, according to their families. The tribe of Benjamin, the descendants of Benjamin, according to their families, the family of the Belaites from Bela, the family of the Ashbelites from Ashbel, the family of the Ahiramites from Ahiram, 
the family of the Shufamites from Shufam, the family of the Hufamites from Hufam, Shufam and Hufam. The sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, and the family of the Ardites from Ard, the family of the, of the Naamites from Naaman. These were the descendants of Benjamin according to their families, and those of them counted were 45,600. The tribe of Dan, the descendants of Dan according to their families, the family of the Shuhamites from Shuham. These are the families of Dan and the Shulamite uh, families, according to those of them counted, were 64,400. The tribe of Asher, the descendants of Asher, according to their families, the family of Jimna from Jimna, the family of the Ishvites from Ishvi, the family of the Berites from Berea, the descendants of Berea from the family of, uh, uh, the, family of the Heberites from Heber, the family and, uh, well, I'll make another comment later about that. The family of the Malkielites from Malkiel. The name of Asher's daughter was Serah. These were the families of the descendants of Asher, according to those of them counted, 53,400. The tribe of Naphtali. The descendants of Naphtali, according to their families. The family of the Jazeelites from Jazeel. The family of the Gunites from Guni the family of the Jezreites from Jezer, the family of the Shulamites from Shalem. These were the families of Naphtali according to their families, and those of them counted were 45,400. These are those counted of the children or of the sons of Israel, 601,730. So here is the final count of the census of those who are 20 years old and upward men, the sons of Israel, who, uh, who can go to war. 600,000, 601,730. That's a little more than 1,800 less than what they started out with in their first count back at the beginning of the book of Numbers. So it's a slightly smaller group. Uh, uh, but there's... Much to be said. Let's keep going here, though. The faithfulness of God. First of all, there will be an inheritance by Lot. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, You shall apportion the land among these as an inheritance in accordance with the number of names. To the large tribe, you shall give a larger inheritance. To a smaller tribe, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each person shall be given an inheritance according to his number. Only through Lot shall the land be apportioned. They shall inherit it according to the names of their father's tribes. The inheritance shall be apportioned between the numerous and the few according to Lot, to the Lot that's cast. Now the Levites are numbered. They don't have a part of the land. They are the priesthood. They stand in the place of the firstborn, you remember. These were the numbers of the Levites according to their families. The family of the Gershonites from Gershon. The family of the Kohathites from Koth. The family of the Merorites from Merari. These were the families of Levi. The family of the Libnites. The family of the Hebronites. The family of the Malites. The family of the Mushites. The family of the Korahites. And Kehat begat Amram. And the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother had borne to Levi in Egypt. She bore Amram, Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. 
born to Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered up an unauthorized fire before Yahweh. And those counted of them were 23,000, every male aged one month and upward, for they were not counted among the sons of Israel. So they counted them a little different. Since no inheritance was given them among the sons of Israel. Only Caleb and Joshua then remain. This was the census of Moses and Eliezer, the priest, who counted the sons of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Among these, there was no man who had been included in the census of Moses and Aaron when they counted the sons of Israel in the Sinai Desert. For Yahweh had said to them, they shall surely die in the desert. No one was left of them but Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Of course, Moses is still left, but he's about to die. We're going to see his death here in a, in a little, uh, in, a, in another uh, chapter. Well, that was, a, that was a, a lung full of stuff. But what's the conclusion here? We started out, the same families, the same kinds of names, but the numbers were different to begin with, a little bit, not much, but a little bit than what they are uh, to the end. You'll also find, if you do a study, you'll find that some of the tribes actually increased in their numbers from the first to the last census, and some decreased in their numbers from the first to the last census. Now, why is this? Well, I'll tell you a secret. I don't know. Some people say, well, he punished these for that. He rewarded these for that. They just don't know. But it's by the divine purpose of God that those who increased now are going to get more of the land because there's more of them. And those who decreased will not get as much of the land as originally thought uh, because there's fewer of them. Now, when we think of this, I told you at the outset that the main character in this whole thing is God. It isn't Moses, it isn't Aaron, it isn't Eliezer, it isn't Joshua, Caden, it's no other person. They are working the will of God. They are outworking the purpose of God. But it is God who is, who is uh, commanding every scene that we've been given. So let's think back on the book of Numbers for just a bit and think of how um, they got such a happy start. They were, they were organized from heaven. Heaven organized these people. Yahweh told Moses and Moses organized these people in their work. And how they were supposed, what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to do it. The administration of the work of God in the book of Numbers as they left Egypt and went on toward Canaan was not a work of man. The organization and the administration of God through his people in the lives of his people and for his people was from God. It wasn't from the people. So this was, you won't find a more perfect organization or administration than what was given to these people. And included in all of that was, of course, uh, their tasks, their duties, their place, where they were to be placed among the rest of the tribes. And um, uh, they, were, they were all numbered and they all had something to do. There was, there was a job to do. There was a goal to be accomplished. They were to go. They had one job. It was a simple thing. Follow 
the pillar of fire. Just follow that thing. And when it stops, you stop. In the faithfulness of God, immediately, or by the faithfulness of God, even though they immediately, practically, started murmuring and complaining, God graciously dealt with them uh, in their initial murmurings and complaints, but then sin crept in. It wasn't just the sin of unbelief, it was, it was the sin on occasion of overt idolatry. And the people, I mean, from the hand of God, they had the law of God given to them by the obviously appointed servant of God, Moses. How many times did God reveal miraculously that Moses was his chosen leader for the people? And it took more than one time. It was a patient God, a persevering God because of his purpose and his will. Well, as we reflect back on this and think of all the times they sinned that we've seen in the book of Numbers and the judgments, the various judgments that God had sent upon the people and the plagues and the deaths that their sin had uh, caused and the loss of an entire generation, the loss of 40 years. When we think about all of that, then let's reflect back and gather this from it. Number one, God is shown as being faithful to his word and to his promise. His promise, and it was a promise of grace. Abram, who became Abraham. There wasn't anything particularly good about him. He worshiped a moon god, we're told in the book of Joshua. He wasn't, he wasn't even a worshiper of Yahweh. He did not know he was dead spiritually. He did not know about the true and living God. God had to reveal himself to Abram. But when God called him, this irresistible call brought him out of Ur where he lived in the Chaldees and started him on a journey to a place that he didn't really know yet. And God brought him and gave him a covenant, a covenant of descendants that would be innumerable, a covenant of a vast portion of select land on planet earth where those descendants could live. And God gave him not just the covenant, but he gave him the law and he provided uh, his word th- to those people through his, his, uh, his, his prophets. Um, the patriarchs were there uh, in, in the early part to, to listen to the Lord. And that covenant went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And now in their separation from the rest of the nations, in the enslavement in Egypt, in slavery in Egypt, they became a nation. 400 years. The, the purpose of God is developing. It didn't seem like it from time to time, but God is always true to his word and to his promise. So his promise is these people will be a nation and I will put them in the land that I've promised to them. Now, this is the promise of God. Now, how you get from point A to point B can, can include a lot of things. Um, but they all are lessons that are given through his people and recorded in his word that none of us who are, who are God's people should ever take lightly. 
that even though they were sinners and even though they grieved God and even though they rebelled against divinely appointed leadership and were uh, stubborn and hard-hearted in so many ways, the will and purpose of God overruled the whole thing. Even, even the sinful, it's funny. God put judgment on them that this generation would die. And the judgment from God that came because of their sins that they committed after God had judged them to die in the wilderness was part of how God fulfilled his word to those people. They died. They weren't going to make it. Not even Moses to the land of promise. But the main character in the whole thing is the faithfulness of God to his word and his promise. We are in these days in Christ, we are the people of God. God has made to us promises. God has for us a purpose. The purpose has never changed. And his word has never changed. And we have our, we have our, our little part in this whole thing as we're traveling through our through our wilderness sometimes and, and trying to find our way across the Jordan and into the land of Canaan, having escaped the slavery of Egypt, we have our little part and we find ourselves from time to time in rebellion to God. We're sinners. But God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his word and God is faithful to his promise. So bad things happen in the course of life, but those things happen as divine correction to maintain the journey, that nothing will stop it, that nothing can negate the word of God, that nothing can make God out to be a liar, absolutely nothing, doesn't matter what it is. And so God always worked in behalf of his people, even through all of those decades even through those centuries of slavery into the decades of, of the trek from Egypt to Canaan. And even after they get into Canaan, all the way to the way he works in my life today and in yours, I, I'm, I can be rebellious from time to time and maybe I can have doubts or, or I'm not doing what I ought to do or, I, or I, I do what I shouldn't do or I don't do what I should do. It's not going to stop the purpose of God and his faithfulness to his people. That's a, that, it's beyond comforting. I don't know, I don't know, it's a, it's a thought that humbles us into the presence of our God that he has assumed such care for us because of his love for us. Well, the next thing is God never changes. He never changes. He makes a change in us but he never changes. Now, this is a problem that much of the so-called church today is not, is not living up to. Much of the church today is trying to make God into something other than how God is presented. They, they create another God. They create attributes to God that the Bible never gives to God, but God never changes. So what happens? Well, God works in the lives of his true, real people. 
And even though circumstances are very difficult from time to time and the days are dark and the journey is long, even so, God is working out his will and his purpose. And his purpose, if you want to use the uh, illustration of Israel in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, his, his purpose was to take them out of Egypt and to put them into Canaan. That purpose never changed. The nature of God and how he would do it never changed. God never compromised to the sin of his people so that he could preserve them. He judged them in that sin and the change came within the people. It didn't come into the nature of God. God's nature is what it is. It never changes. God will not change. The change is always wrought in the lives of his people. Thank God for it. Any of us who have been Christians for as we're veterans as a Christian, we can look back on life and we can see how God has altered us and changed us to keep us on the path wherein his will and purpose are ultimately accomplished. And he causes us to be a part of it. We may buck that from time to time and even rebel. But God knows how to tend to it. And God knows how to take care of it in our lives. And the change is wrought in us, never in the nature of God. The purpose and the will of God never changed, regardless of all of the problems that Israel presented uh, to Moses and in the presence of Yahweh. God's nature never changed. God stood against sin. He stood with his purpose and for his name and sanctified his people and if they tried to show themselves as less than holy, God did whatever was necessary to make sure that they understood indeed they were holy and sanctified people, even if it cost a bunch of them their lives. And that's what happened. So he never changes. We're the ones who change and God makes the change in us as we go through life. Finally, and I've probably already made the point, but nothing can alter the purpose nor the will of God. God doesn't change his nature he doesn't change his will. He doesn't change his purpose. We are on a trip, a journey. We are numbered among the elect of God who go back to the beginning of the human race. And we, we, are, we are joining those who have gone before. And we're moving ahead of those who will come after. And all of us in the Lord are headed toward the fulfillment of his will and his purpose. And that is namely that he, at the end of all things, will receive all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the power. And in our individual lives, we'll be able to stand up at any point in time in eternity and give a testimony to how God glorified himself in our lives how he honored himself in our lives, even, even through periods of our brokenness. He was, he was bringing the change necessary in our lives because his purpose wouldn't change, his will wouldn't change. He would change us to make sure that we maintained our place in that wonderful journey because we're his. He has declared from forever. In Christ we're his. That never, that never, ever changes. 
So up to this point, we still have a little bit further to go in the book of Numbers, but we come to a watershed in, a, in the sense that uh, the declaration is made that that old, that old uh, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, that old generation, they're gone. And uh, it's a new beginning for Israel. They are on the brink of crossing the Jordan and going into Canaan. And it's a new thing. And so what happens after those 40 years of all the stuff that went on during that time? God is still God. Sin is still sin. Righteousness is still righteousness. The purpose and will of God have not changed. And he has moved in the lives of his people as he saw fit to make the change in them. So that finally this new generation when they get to the Jordan and under Joshua are ready to cross the river and go into Canaan, they're excited and they're very careful uh, to observe the ordinances and the law of God because of their new beginning. Well, we're going to stop there and we'll be dismissed with prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you for watching over us every step of the way. That you are in us and you are working your work in us. And through us. And we don't have the capacity to express how thrilled we are that you would do that for us. Father, I pray that you'll help us to understand the things in life that we have to face and help us to know that your will and purpose are perfect in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.